Welcome to Sport and Life with Sam Kekovic and Leon Wigard. Sam, good morning to you all, Sam. Uh, good morning to you, Leon. Uh, look, uh, it is a great morning and I do feel fantastic. It's a lovely day here in Melbourne. The yellow orb shining brightly uh, and I had a breath of air and it's going to be a fabulous day. But just coming out of lockdown number four and this time uh, it's taken me a little bit longer than norm to get over it. But and I'm, you know, like yourself, we're very positive. We keep the faith, and fingers crossed that we've uh, averted the very worst. And uh, we were fortunate enough to have some print uh, on hand to bide you over. Well, Leon, uh, I've got to be implicitly candid with you. You know, I have a propensity for the grape, and whilst I did imbibe on a tincture every now and again, in fact, I was shickered most of the two weeks. Uh, <laughs> I just came out of a cloud. Then what day is it? <laughs> <laughs> That's the Mitchell, of course, and uh, you enjoy that from the Gamby, and uh, uh, they're, our, uh, they're our sponsor. The Mitchelton print. Oh, what a wonderful drop that is. Thank God for Jerry Ryan. Everyone thinks Jerry Ryan, all his wealth. We couldn't give a continental about his wealth, but his wines. That's what we want. Yes. <laughs> now, we've got a, another member of Vang Sang, a, a, a famous member, because he was... I mean, he really transcends a period in football where we we went from being just a suburban, you know, real, what would you call Tribal. It? Tribal, that's the word, um, to what we see today, which is uh, huge. Uh, his name's Barry Round. He was captain of uh, the South Melbourne, of course, Played for Footscray originally, and yeah. uh, and then uh, made a real name for himself up north. So we say hello to him. G'day, Barry. G'day, Leon. G'day, Sam. How are you, boys? Uh, we're in great shape. You've probably heard uh, we've come out of lockdown four. Uh, our spirits uh, haven't been dented entirely. Uh, it's a wonderful what a bit of elk can do, but uh, uh, <laughs> pardon the pun with you, of course. Uh, yeah, i tell you, uh, Baz, yesterday I was at the uh, Carlton Football Ground. Now, very shortly... You will be, uh, I think, 1990, what's that, 25 years? You'll have a 20th or 25th year anniversary of the, uh, right. the wonderful Williamstown victory over Springvale in 1990 in your VFA days. So yeah. we're doing yeah, it all. There's a memorable, there's a, a memento of a video because that was one of the great memorable grand finals in VFA history when you're, you were, uh, from memory, a 28-point deficit at three-quarter time. It went to 34. They kicked the goal in the opening minute of the final quarter, and then the rest is history, that uh, remarkable comeback, which you, the great monolith, played a, uh, a huge role in. So, so that'll yeah, evoke so some great memories. A great day it was, Sam, here, and that's um, yeah, something that was, uh, I was highly regarded at, at the time as probably one of the best grand finals that, uh, in the VFA that I'd seen, and um, yeah, so you go, we end up kicking, Billy Swan kicked a, Oh. A 55 metre goal and we uh, won by two points. But um, yeah, it was Rick, Ian Rickman was kicking them from the centre square and we, everything just seemed to fall into place. Momentum up and yeah, we, uh, we, we came home with a wet sail. Billy, of course, is the father of Dane. Exactly. Dane Swan, yes. Brownlow medalist. But that was 1990, and of course, a lot before we get to 1990, we've got to go back a fair way, Baz. And I think Leon will start the ball rolling from your uh, yes, I've got, early days. I've got the record here. You all know these figures. Uh, Footscray, 135 games. Sydney, uh, well, so the Swans, 193. Williamstown, 110. 
total 438 or thereabouts. So there we are. And when you think about it, um, Barry, the Tucks and the Harveys who played all those games, over 400 in the VFL, AFL, they're amazing. Yeah, no wonder I'm buggered. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a big man. That's the thing about you. Uh, uh, yeah, there was a, there's a lot of training nights involved in all those games, I could tell you. But um, no, I used to love it. And that's why I kept playing, actually. <laughs> I was crooked on it in 91 when uh, I was 41 years old. And um, my left knee started playing up a bit. I thought, I'll go in and get a bit of a, a clean out. And uh, I'll... Uh, I'll in a sneak a couple of years down on the forward line. I've been playing four quarters in the ruck every game, and uh, it's being captain and coach is sort of pretty easy to get a, a game. And uh, so, but uh, I mean, they never come good, so I was, I was cut down at 41. Baz, uh, you're a part of the pioneer of the Sydney Swans. You know, they were pretty, uh, pretty volatile days from South Melbourne to that transition to the Sydney Swans. You got a vivid uh, recollection of that, I imagine. Yeah, it was a, uh, a very sad time at the time, Sam. Um, you know, people in South Melbourne loved their footy club, and uh, we had our supporters uh, the same as everyone. Unfortunately, we didn't have enough of them, and uh, we uh, financial difficulties were crippling the club. And Craig Kimberley, who was a, uh, a just June Empire King, he uh, he was president, and he was financing the. The players' payments, he was paying the staff, and it was just unsustainable, really. And uh, so uh, we uh, we were given three options to go down to Moorabbin and those with St Kilda, uh, to go to Sydney and still be the Swans and play our home games in Sydney, or uh, wind the club up. And so naturally, uh, we, you know, I must say this the players loved playing at the Lake Over. We didn't really want to go, but the scenario that was put to us we didn't really have a, a lot of choice and um, a lot of supporters were very bitter and I remember the last uh, game we played at the Lake Oval uh, in 1981 uh, the banner was all black and all the cheer squad were dressed in black and those people in the crowd crying and keep, it, keep south at south banners everywhere and uh, very very sad time for the club but then you wind forward and you, you learn to get through it and you look back now and the club's got 60,000 members that won two flags and uh, they're a very successful club. And Leon would know this very well, being at the helm of a, uh, a VFL, AFL club. Uh, the figures just didn't stack up and that was the advent of the commission then, which took the power away from the individual clubs, which would vote away from their own, you know, you know, from their own club, you know, to, to have a, a more... For want of a better term, Leon, it would be an impartial view and a more and a more uh, realistic view. Oh, that that was it. I've said before on this uh, podcast that what we used to do as AFL directors, VFL directors, we, we'd we'd make a solemn uh, decision that we would uh, do X, Y, and Z for the good of the overall game. Yeah, and then every one of us would go to the phone, their favourite phone at VFL House. Mm. We'd ring the secretary and say, "This so you'll get over that. Don't worry, don't worry about that rule." <laughs> so it was going nowhere. The, the parochial way that we yeah, viewed the parochial things. View, that's right. So we needed, and in fact, we we gave the power to the commission. We voted ourselves out. That's right, because it was understood. Anyway, Barry, Barry uh, a couple of other names that came into this uh, equation was Bill Collins, the famous race caller, who was uh, died in the wall, South Melbourne man. 
Yes, yeah, Bill had his turn there for a while, and uh, I think he was named president for a while, interim president or whatever. And uh, you know, they look. We can totally understand the the, uh, the sympathy uh, for you know for the local South Melbourne people. But we had, I think, we had four thousand paid up members, and uh, you know, that's uh, you weren't going to get anywhere with that sort of thing. And competing against the bigger clubs, and they're getting stronger. Poor old Swannies are getting weaker, and uh, so uh, yeah. But it was uh, you know cut cut the club in half, and there was half the players said we're not going, and others did this, and then you know it was just a uh, a bit of a stromozzle. But um, anyway, it, we just sort of stuck at it and worked our way through it. Sam, uh, Sam, you may not know this either, but Barry, were you aware that Wayne Reed, the former boss of tennis in Australia? was commissioned by the VFL to do a study and see whether South Melbourne or Fitzroy ought to give away their own ground and go and play on the one. In other words, would they both go and play on South or would they go go, go to the Junction Oval? And he did that study and came out marginally in favour of South Melbourne. Did you, okay. did you know about that? No, I didn't, Leo, no. But, um, but uh, well, the, the Fitzroy were playing their home games at... Um at Carlton uh, around about then anyway, weren't they, or not? No, this is, well, we're still at uh, at the junction. Because okay, they're both yeah. fantastic grounds. I mean, probably marginally the, well, Sam, you are impartial. Uh, I, I imagine most of the players used to love playing at the junction oval. We did. The, the surface yeah. was wonderful. Yeah, we did. But we did. nothing wrong with South Island. Uh, but, of course, that was never, ever going to go anywhere because... Uh, the, the losing side was going to, de- to go into denial, so <laughs> so uh, uh, as we did at Fitzroy, we said, "Oh well, thanks for the uh, thanks for the help, Wayne, but we don't need you." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that junction oval, I never got the pleasure of playing there in uh, for either the Bulldogs or uh, Swans. But later on, when uh, when I was playing for Williamstown, we played a few finals there, and it was absolutely beautiful ground, the old junction oval, for sure. I think the big worry with Fitzroy was that Ironmonger stand. I think very difficult to get insurance on that fire insurance, <laughs> I think. <laughs> now, Roundy, uh, look, the early days were, look, I was in Sydney at the time. I remember I was with the brewery and I helped acquire a number of membership tickets to get our pouring rights out of the Sydney Cricket Ground. But uh, they were really dire days, weren't they, in the early days? I remember Tommy Hafey when he moved there. Uh, you know, you had mortgages unpaid, players went, you know, didn't have jobs, players uh, didn't have a ground to train on. So they're really, really stark, weren't they, the conditions? Oh, yeah, we did a tough Sam, for sure. And um, remember, we weren't full-time players and we all had uh, we all had jobs and I had a couple of kids of school age. So you're going to shift 40 people to Australia's biggest city, trying to find somewhere to live. We've got no idea of the areas, uh, find, try and find a job, and then all the time go and play a uh, game of footy with no facilities, and uh, weren't sure which ground we were going to be allowed to train on, and um, we used to train on the uh, SCG number two oval, which was That's used right. as a car park whenever a, uh, a test match or a rugby game was on, and um, of course cars running over the ground, there'd be dips and pots here, and you'd be run along a train and you see a bloke fall over and you go, oh, he's trodden in a body hole. <laughs> this is at the top level, mind you. So uh, yeah. we, uh, we we won, actually we won quite a few games in the uh, early years, Sam. You might remember that, um, you know, we're all creatures of habit and all of a sudden you've got a 
meet the boys at Tullamarine and jump on a plane and fly to another state, to Sydney, and, and play a game of footy. And, you know, the Swannies got used to it because we were doing it every second week. And we're still living in Melbourne, but flying up there for our home games. And, um, uh, you know, a lot of the teams that get off the plane and all they want to do is get the game over and head down to King's Cross afterwards. So, yeah. <laughs> the bourbon and beef. Wins, we, yeah, that's right. We, didn't, we probably got a few wins we didn't deserve, but... Uh, but yeah, it's uh, t- looking back. It's tough times. We didn't have any weights. We had about a uh, about two or three showers for the whole whole group, and um, very uh, very bad times. Yeah, they were okay. Now, Barry, I'm going I'm to throw a name at you now. And this guy just recently passed away. Would you believe? He was my next door neighbour. But uh, he's one guy that polarises the Sydney Swans or South Melbourne more so than anyone. You ask certain people and, uh, you know, they're almost dismissive. You talk to another group of people and they just laud him and revere him, is held in, in revere him in the highest possible sense. And that was Doc Edelston. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I spoke to a recent, recently to a very prominent Sydney Swans uh, member or director and... He's very annoyed at the fact that when you mention the Sydney Swans or South Melbourne, the name that invariably, the era that is mostly focused on is the Edelston years. Yes, and yet, yes. Yeah, to the contemporaries. And yet you speak to people that were involved in the Edelston, the Edelston years, like yourself, uh, Greg Williams, Tommy Hafey. You know, they idolised him. They regard him as the Messiah. Uh, and yet the contemporaries don't see him that way. They almost regard him as a, uh, well, for want of a better word, you know, it's sort of a nondescript. But in your yeah. in your view, I mean, to so say you're front and square there, you're leader of the pack, you had a lot to do with him. Uh, how did you view the Edelson years and the doc himself? Yeah, well, he, <laughs> he certainly uh, did have his, uh, his supporters and his detractors, but... Um, Look, one thing he did, and I've said this when I uh, when he passed away last week, I did a couple of comments, and uh, the one thing he did was gave us a profile. And before that, we'd be mentioned in the Sydney Morning Herald by the best players and goal kickers about ten pages in from the back, after all the rugby league and any other sport they could think of, and we weren't getting a fair go. And when Edelson came on the scene, uh, he you know had all the Lamborghini and the lovely Leanne and. Anyway, people started to know who the Swans were and, um, it, you know, got us some people curious in the game and come along. But So he served his purpose there. But as far as he's, he's referred to as the owner of the Sydney Swans, well, people I know that were involved at the time, uh, they said he didn't put in one cent of his own money. And uh, But he was uh, flamboyant and he could obviously a uh, good salesman because we had a, uh, a pre-season uh, barbecue out of his house in Dural in West Sydney and uh, there was about 10 luxury cars in his carport the Lamborghinis, Rolls convertibles and all I was, I was there, I saw them and uh, they all got different number plates funky, groovy, sexy and all this. Where, where was <laughs> the chopper? Each other. Sorry? Where was the chopper? The chopper was there it was there, Sam, but I actually went up in it, it wasn't <laughs> a pink one, it was a white one, but um, but apparently they were all the cars were on loan or they were at demos or something and they all had to be back the next day. But, but he put on a marvellous show. But hear this out, Barry, and I've spoken to a number of people on this and, Tommy, I remember vividly. 
You know, you're getting cars repossessed, your mortgages uh, weren't being paid. Uh, is that true? Yes, yes. Now, Tommy swears by when the dock arrived, all of a sudden that, that changed. Now, I don't know where the money came from, but the players were getting paid, mortgages were paid, and, you know, so yeah. maybe not the dock's money, or but the dock was instrumental somewhere on the line, was he not? Yes, yeah, well, I heard, I've heard that side of it too, Sam, and um, apparently the doc had a, uh, a very influential contact overseas, actually, in America, and he was, uh, the doc, you know, sort of talked him into uh, getting involved, and I think that's maybe where a bit of the, the financial uh, right. aid came from, and um, so, again, the, uh, it might not have been the doc's money, but he was involved in it, and uh, if it came out for a good cause, well, that was good, but... Um, yeah, he's, uh, you know, he, he, he did serve his purpose. And, and when you talk about the history of the Swans moving to Sydney, uh, he deserves his, you know, um, mention because of the fact that he took us from virtually unknowns to actually get a bit well, of a profile in, no. in Australia's biggest city. Barry, can we talk about you for a moment? Um, uh, take us back to the days in, uh, in Gippsland. Yeah, well, it's... Uh, I used to play for a club called Nilma, which is just outside Warrigal. And, uh, and what's a great horse? Farmers. What was a great horse that came out of Nilma? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry? What, what? came out of Nilma? Yes. Uh, a great Sorry, horse. Mate? A great horse out of Nilma. Really? Oh, there you go. Spell yeah, Nilma, yeah, spell one Nilma one backwards. One. Spell Nilma backwards. Oh, It's called yeah, Amlin. Called oh, Amlin. Amlin was a superstar pacer. Oh, Pacer. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right there, yeah. Amlin was anyway, a great, great uh, horse. One of the local farmers used to give us one of his paddocks to play uh, footy on and um, there'd be cattle on the ground during the week and then they'd shove them off on Saturday morning and we'd run out and play. And, uh, you know, the coach always used to say to you, once, you know, don't fall over, hold your feet. Once you fall over, you're out of the contest. Well, we had another reason not to fall over because uh, <laughs> some of the cowpats still had steam coming off them. And, um, <laughs> anyway, from there I went on to Warrigal and played in Latrobe Valley. And then uh, I was the guest of Richmond uh, 1967 grand final and Graham Richmond actually came up to our house and spoke to us and uh, we went down as guests of the, the, the Tigers and... Um, Anyway, the zoning came in, so uh, instead of going to the Richmond, um, my, my hands were, were tied, and I didn't I really you know, want to play league footy. But yeah, so the, the Latrobe Valley was zoned to the Bulldogs, and um, that's where the, you get your Timberlands and uh, Jeff Jennings and all the uh, uh, Bernie Quinlans and all You're the great champions mate. from uh, yeah from uh, from the Latrobe Valley. Like Chaco um, Royal. Yeah, I could go on and on, and uh, yeah, they were. Uh, it was a good, you know, a good move, and uh, so I went down and played my first game in 1969, uh, Easter Monday, it was Teddy Whitten's 300th game, and we played Fitzroy, and I lined up on Big Norm Brown, and uh, I'm a skinny kid from Oregon, I'm thinking, crikey, he's a big boy. <laughs> anyway, uh, we uh, we got the win for Teddy, and um, yeah, that was, uh, the rest has sort of gone on from there, but um, I was just happy being a a kid kicking the footy around up the bush and uh, dreamt of playing playing VFL footy and uh, and as, as it turned out we uh, got my chance and had a, had a magnificent career really I suppose when you look back at the longevity of it all. 
Well, Google puts you down as uh, six foot four and 108 K. How's that sound? Yeah. Well, I don't think I'm six foot four anymore, and I'm definitely not 108 K. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. so, so Footscray, nearly 150 games there, not quite. Uh, why the move to South Melbourne? Well, as you know, Leon, um, in those days uh, you could add a transfer fee and if you, the club was going pretty ordinary and Bulldogs were at the time, uh, they decided they might have a bit of a fire sale and uh, I don't think they got too much from me, but I, I got moved. And Billy Goggin came in as a new coach and he wanted a bit of a clean out. So uh, the full back line for the Bulldogs in 1975 was... Uh, Gary Merrington fullback, Gordon Cassie in the back pocket, and I was in the other back pocket. Anyway, we all got the bullet, and uh, so uh, yeah, I was without a club. And um, so the next thing I, uh, I went in and traded to Geelong. Rod Olsen had just been named coach there, and I thought, yeah, it's you know, you know, but it was just a drive down three times a week, and especially if you like a, uh, a sip of beverage on the, you know, after a hard day's work, I thought I'm going to either lose my licence or kill myself, so um, I, uh, I ruled out Geelong that uh, ended up at um, at, the, at the South Melbourne Footy Club, Ian Stewart had just been named as coach, Craig Kimberley had just taken over as president and had a real good feel about the place, and uh, so I signed with him, and as it turned out, <laughs> Stewie had sacked the whale, uh, Brian Roberts, a week before because uh, the whale had just moved into his pub in Clarendon Street and he said to Stewie, oh, I might be able to attend all the training and, uh, you know, I've got uh, I've got a pub to run. And so Stewie made a bit of an example of him and so uh, the whale exited and I, uh, I came in. And so did Tuddy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for a while, yeah. yeah. So you had two coaches at the same time. Tuddy wouldn't go because Stewie was appointed. Apparently money was owed or something. I don't know what the circumstance was. But that must have been unsettling times for you too, weren't they? Uh, I was... Well, I see. I think even Mopsy Rantel might have got announced as a coach at one stage. So, yeah. we, um, yeah, well, there was one coach that was going to coach if we stayed in Melbourne and another coach that was yeah. going to go if we went to I can't believe you could lose so many games with so much, you know, so many coaches you've got. I mean, to say, you had a plethora of coaches and you still couldn't win games. It's amazing. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I don't know. We uh, we just didn't have the right team. The I, I was just being um, facetious, mate. So we're covered. When we went to Sydney, Sam, we, we, we struggled up there to win games, and um, it wasn't until Tommy came in. Uh, I finished in at the end of 85, and uh, they've gone out and got uh, Jared Healy, Greg Williams, Merv Nagel, Bernard Tui, Glenn Coleman. Yeah. They've got about seven superstars in, and... Um, and Kappa was in full bloom, so, you know, well, they went from battlers to uh, to bloody superstars. We were on top of the ladder and kicking 20 goals a week, and every, Sydney was everybody's second team, and, um, yeah, she turned things around. And, of course, another very important appointment, too, was Richard Collis. When Richard Collis took over the reins, I think he added a, uh, without being disparaging to his uh, predecessors, he added a uh, dynamic dimension in terms of professionalism, understanding from the West Coast Eagles, and uh, in a very, very foreign and alien uh, environment, set the pins and the structures in place for imminent success. Yeah, I can't speak highly enough of Dickie. He's a, a, a ripper bloke and a, a great administrator, but also what he did was uh, there was players that I'd played with and 
players before me that at South Melbourne that said, that's it, I'm never going to set foot in the club again. I'm not going to barrack for them anymore. And, you know, really bitter. And Richard, uh, to his credit, got contacted all those players and he mended a lot of bridges. And, uh, of course, winning the 2005 grand final after 72 years of uh, no, no premiership, uh, that killed the club again. But Richard's played a, a very, very big part in... Uh, getting the, the you know the former players yeah. back on board, and uh, it was a terrific administrator and a and a terrific uh, bloke. He was a unifying catalyst. There's no doubt about that. And yeah. you know, very understated. And uh, well, you name as well as anyone. He's a good mate of ours. But uh, he played a. Uh, you can never uh, understate the role that he played in the overall success of the of the uh, of the of the of the Sydney Swans in its latter years. You're on Sport and Life and we're talking to Barry Round, Brando medalist and uh, superstar of football, 438 senior games. And the last club we should talk about, uh, although Sam mentioned it earlier, was Williamstown. Uh, that must really uh, be a, a fond memory for you because uh, not only you but your son uh, was also a very, very good... In fact, best and fairest uh, at, uh, at Williamstown. Yes, yeah, sure. And, and, and look, Tanningham, I played for 23 years and the uh, the years at Williamstown were probably the happiest I had in my whole career. And uh, we'd gone from making the finals once in seven years with the Bulldogs and once in 10 years with the Swannies, really, and um, both elimination finals and got knocked out both times. So to go to Williamstown where you uh, were winning more often than not every week and you come in the rooms afterwards and you don't have to stare at the floor and look sad for half an hour. And we actually, one of the trainers would come around and bring a, 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 a green can for everyone. And um, everyone was happy. And I thought, crikey, this is good. And then when we won the flag in 86, we beat Coburg at the Junction Oval. And uh, people are all saying, you know, I was 36 years old. And they said, what a way to bow out of footy. And uh, I said, bow out. I'm just starting to enjoy this bloody game. And um, <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, so we end up uh, playing for another five or six years, and but uh, yeah, very happy time. Great club, Williamstown, and it's sad to see what's happened to the. And you'd probably agree with this, Sam. What's happened to the VFA, and you know they call it the VFL now, and half the teams are in bloody Queensland or up the coast, and uh, it's just decimated, you know. And the, the clubs like Williamstown, we, we play games in you know, against Apsley in, in in Brisbane, well. The local Williamstown supporters aren't going to get a chance to see that. And, you know, it's just the whole fabric of the game has been created for a, uh, really, to be honest, to be a reserves competition for the AFL guys that don't get picked in the seniors. Yeah, it's meaningless, really. The VFA, when they gave up the Sundays, that was the death knell of VFA football, which was such a unique game and a, a fantastic, uh, had an enormous crowd appeal, the VFA, as you know, because I spent a couple of years there with the with Paran, which we also won a flag, also at the Junction Oval. In fact, we still hold the record there. I think for 31,000 people crammed into the Junction Oval, we beat Preston. But it was a fantastic year and a tough brand of footy. Well, I can tell you one thing about Willie. Uh, Barry, uh, you're probably aware of this. They're a fantastic community club. They do still today. They... they manage so many community events and uh, kids sports and all sorts of odd things you wouldn't know about. Uh, so well done to them. Yeah, well, they're, um, it's like a, a country town in the city, I think, Leon. You go over the Westgate Bridge and you take the, the Williamstown exit and if you keep going, you, you get to Williamstown and you, you can't go any further. So it's not a thoroughfare. And, 
it's got that community feel about it. When we made the finals, all the shops had the blue and gold streamers in this thing. It was, it was just like being up the bush again. And, um, yeah, very – and Tony Hannabury was the president, Terry Wheeler was coach. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was just a, a real happy place to be. And William Sanders, pretty pretty unique sort of a joint. And who was your favourite trainer there? Remember, we, had, we buried him in my ABC jacket? The green jacket? Uh, Hoggy. <laughs> Johnny Hogg, yeah. Johnny Hoggy. Yeah. Remember Hoggy? Yeah, and you know what? He was a different trainer than what people thought, Sam, because I've seen blokes with a broken leg get up and run when they saw Hoggy coming towards them. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, Roundy, uh, i got to tell you, you played 321 games, of course. One of your great moments, of course, you mightn't have had personal success in terms of premierships in the uh, VFL, AFL, but, of course... You won the Brownlow, the highest personal accolade, the Brownlow medal, with your great mate Bernie Quinlan. That would have been a special occasion for you. Yeah, look, it was, Sam, and um, it's, uh, you know, it's just a, a tremendous honour. And I remember Ian Stewart at the time was coaching, he'd won three Brownlows, and uh, he said, you know, well done and all that. He said, but you won't really appreciate it until you retire. And he's uh, been proven right. It's like a, you know, a an honour and a, a knight or whatever you you get introduced as a Brownlow medalist and um, but yeah that was a career high and the last it's funny how it turned out but the last game at the Loke Oval against North Melbourne uh, I got the three votes and that's what got me the, the Brownlow so the last ever game at the wow. Loke Oval and um, turned into a Brownlow with my mate uh, Bernie and uh, you know what a, what a champion player he was to share it with him was just amazing I'm glad we we played a small role in that victory for you, Roundy, at North <laughs> Melbourne. Now, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I've got to tell you, I've got one beef with you, really. I'll be implicitly honest with you. It's been on my nerve for some time. I wish you'd never played footy, personally. I wish you had played <laughs> cricket. I wish you had represented Australia in no, cricket. Yes. You know no, why? It's funny how it all works out, isn't it? But you know why I would wish you had been playing cricket for Australia? You got the idea? I'm sick and tired of a guy called David Boone holds a record for the amount of cans, 54 I think it is, from... <laughs> you would have shit in by the time they crossed the... They wouldn't have even had... Where, where would they be? They wouldn't have been halfway across, you would have been on your 55th. <laughs> no, no, I tell you what, uh, you come across some good ones in your career and uh, I'm not talking about on the field, I'm thinking of... Uh, While well, Robert used to be... Uh, he's up there and uh, Big Bell Perevic and Vanderhaar and... And even TD, you, know, you get a few good ones along the Randy, way. And, uh, Randy, Randy, please, don't understate your position, I'm telling you now. You're a mile in front of the pack, we know that. But I would have loved to have seen the amount, the quantity that would have, by the time you Heathrow, Qantas 10 landed on Heathrow, the consumption levels, well, they would have run out. They would have had to refuel somewhere to bring it on board. Anyway, yeah, well, it's... Things have changed, Sam. It's responsible serving, you know. We, we, we didn't really have that back then, did we? Now, no, we Barry, uh, you won the Brownlow Medal and therefore were invited back to the Brownlow every year. And at one stage, you were also doing radio and broadcasting the Brownlow Medal. And you had a backpack on to interview all the VIPs, <laughs> which wasn't plugged in. 
There's uh, another. Yes, I did. I, uh, yeah. I, I don't know how I come across it, but I found a, uh, one of those big ice cream shaped microphones with a cord on it. So I stuck the cord in my back pocket and I was going around interviewing like really straight guys like Bart, like Kevin Bart, and they saying, you know, really, Kevin, you were a cupboard drinker or, you know, I heard you like a drink. And he was horrified. And someone else, I said, oh, you know, you. You reckon so-and-so is an absolute dickhead? And they go, oh, I never said that. They thought they were on air. Yeah. I never said that. <laughs> no, it's just hilarious. Until like, the Channel 7 bloke caught up and he said, put that back in the box, will you? <laughs> oh, you're a legend. And also, on top of you, Brownlow, of course, at J.J. Liston in... Uh 1987, I think, and um, that's almost the cream on the cake. Yeah, well, that was uh, that was a nice surprise too. And uh, age 37 to be still winning something. I think Sam was a bit crooked on me for that. If you're honest, Sammy, I think you said it's a a bit of a uh, you know a, a person on the uh, the BFA competition that. Some old bloke from age 37 can come along and win it. I didn't and, say uh, that. My exact words were, I thought it was a blight on the game. Oh, thanks, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, to... I really wanted to get in. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, Don't let him off the hook, Barry. the next year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you probably would have won it at 42 if I had to let you play as well. Ah, <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, uh, that's sort of like an old fool, they say. Look after yourself, Barry. It's been terrific having you on our Sport and Life podcast. And uh, Barry Round is one of the great fellows, a, a wonderful uh, company and uh, a great character, as you probably know by the interview. And uh, uh, good luck. I know you're going through some trauma at the moment. And uh, let's hope you get through that okay. And uh, we'll catch you again soon. Good on you, fellas. And I know you, the Van Sangers have got a bit of lunch coming up today. So have a great day and uh, say good day to all the boys for me. Yeah, I will, Superstar. Thanks for your Thanks, time, guys. Baz.